0: Our technology is working. There we go. John Piper has said this: "There are no meaningless moments in Christian community. Every conversation and every interaction counts for eternity. We are either weakening people's affections for God or strengthening them." If what he says here is if if it's true, and if you think about it, it 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 has a ring of truth to it. It is something that uh, we probably would agree with. Then we need to be thinking about how we interact with others around us. The kind of things that we say and the kind of things that we do as we go through life. Because he's saying there are no meaningless interactions. Every single one is important. And you know, you never really know uh, what's going to happen. You never really know what kind of interaction you're going to have, who it's going to be with. What it's going to and what kind of impact it's going to have. You know, one day I was uh, I was in the grocery store, you know, just doing, doing the normal thing that everybody does. You have to buy your groceries. You got your corn flakes and your milk and your bread. And uh, I was going up to the to the checkout, and there was kind of a long uh, line up to go through the checkout. And of course, you know, you think, well, which one should I go through? And you know, you make that debate, try and... Decide which line you're going to go and which one looks like it's moving quickest and and anyway i chose I chose one and I'm standing there and it's taking kind of a long time's being you know it's a little bit tedious, you all know that you all know that feeling it's like, why can't I just do this, pay for it, and get on my way? So I was getting a little irritated, and then I got up to the uh, to the cashier and you know at that point you're tempted to make some kind of snarky remark about. Well, you know, how come you, how come things are, are so going so slow here today, or, or something like that, just to, to vent your frustration. Before I had a chance to do that, the cashier looks at me, and says, "Good morning, Mr. Nye." And I was like, "Oh, okay." I said, uh, "Good morning." Um, I said, "But I don't think you seem to know me, but I don't think I know you." And she said, no, no, you probably don't, but you, you preached in my, in my church to, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, wasn't it a good thing I didn't open my mouth? <laughs> because think of that, of that impact. The preacher, and then a few days later, you meet in the grocery store, and what do you, what, what's the first thing out of his mouth? A complaint, a criticism, right? So, and I thought about that. I thought... This is is what he's saying. Every conversation, every interaction counts for eternity. How are we interacting with those people around us? It's a good thing I wasn't rude and complaining because she knew me for uh, the role I was in at at the time as being a a pastor and a preacher. So, you know, I think there's some some truth in this. And, you know, when you look at the Apostle Paul, he, he understood this idea. He knew what was going on. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote carefully and with a lot of wisdom. The wisdom that was coming from God. And he wrote to people to encourage them, to uh, push them to really live for Jesus. To be walking for Jesus and to be saying, this is how you you should live. He was trying to, if we want to use John Piper's language, he was trying to strengthen people's affections for Jesus, for God. With every letter and every word that he wrote, that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to move people closer to God. And he might have been a little bit harsh at times. He might have been uh, clear in pointing out some areas in their lives that they needed correction in. And he was gentle at times too, but I think his goal was always the same to make people to bring them, to help them to be more and more like Jesus. And he wrote intentionally. He wasn't just throwing words around like we do today because our, if you think about it, our words are, are cheap today. You sit at a keyboard and uh, you know, if you're a reasonable typist, you, know, you can fill a page with text in, in five minutes or so. And then you can delete it and start all over again. But Paul didn't have those luxuries and so he wrote very intentionally, very deliberately. Today we're going to start and over the next couple of weeks we're going to take a look and journey through the book of 2 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles you can take it up there and read what Paul has written and see what he has to say not just to the church 2,000 years ago but to us today. So as we look at this this book that Paul wrote... uh, Just a a couple of things of background here to mention. It was probably one of the earliest books that was written in the New Testament. Probably written around uh, something like 52 AD. It's always hard to date these things, but somewhere around that, in that area. Paul and Silas, his friends, they had been traveling around. They actually were in Thessalonica for a time. They started a church uh, there. It was growing out of the... uh, Uh, Out of the synagogues. And that was Paul's. It tells us in the book of Acts, chapter 17, we read about Paul and Silas there in uh, Thessalonica. It says they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. In verse 2, it says, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 2, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue. This is the usual place he went to go. He was a rabbi. It was a very natural place for him to go and to interact with people and tell them about Jesus. That's what he was going there to do. He was telling them about the Messiah that had come. And it says that he used the Scriptures uh, to explain to them uh, and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is his purpose there. He went for about three weeks, it says. Uh, he says It says he went... Uh, uh, the synagogue for three sabbath days so it seems he was there for about three weeks preaching to those who had gathered this was all good it was all okay paul was a rabbi he was entitled to go to the synagogues and to be preaching and teaching there that was what he was trained to do so he was the itinerant preacher moving from place to place ending up in thessalonica in this city and uh, uh, preaching and teaching in the synagogues there Acts chapter 17 verse 4 says that he got a good response. He says some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. So there were the Jews. Some Jews came to believe the God-fearing Greeks were those who followed the, the, the religious practices of the, of, the, of the Jews at the time, but they weren't uh, ethnically Jewish. And so they, but they were God-fearers. And so... He had an impact there, well he was just there three weeks. it says though after a while verse five, some Jews were jealous they caused some trouble for the host the 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 one that was hosting Paul and Silas reported the matter to the city officials they accused the Jews of defying the uh, 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 Caesar and so they got uh, there was a little bit of trouble there. Uh, they arrested, they couldn't find Paul and Silas, they arrested his host, and that very night, Paul and Silas went off and went to Berea, about 80 kilometers or so from Thessalonica to try and get away from the trouble that they realized that they were causing. So sometimes Paul, uh, his approach to facing troubles and challenges and difficulties was to, to leave. Uh, so, their stay in Thessalonica was fairly short, probably not much more than a month, but it was eventful and it had an impact on the community. They left behind there a group of Jesus' followers. But they didn't go, Acts chapter, Acts continues to, to tell us, they didn't, uh, the, the troubles didn't leave them behind. They didn't go quite far enough away. They went to uh, Berea. The angry Jews followed them, stirred up trouble for them there. And then finally, Paul heads off to Athens. He leaves instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him there. Uh, That doesn't seem to quite happen after uh, Paul is in Athens for a little while. Then he goes to the city of Corinth. And we read in Acts chapter 18, verse 5, that Timothy and Silas join him there in Corinth. He had a better stay in Corinth uh, the city of Corinth uh, seems to have welcomed him. He stays there for about a year and a half. And it was probably there while the three of them were in Corinth that Paul takes the time to write these letters, both First and Second Thessalonians, back to the new believers that he had left during a short time in Thessalonica. And so he writes First Thessalonians and probably a little bit later he writes the, the letter of Second Thessalonians. He had had to leave, of course, he had to leave Thessalonica uh, with the church in a bit of an uproar, uh, with some conflict happening, and so he was presumably concerned about the health of the believers that he had left behind, and so he wanted to write and encourage them and help them along the way. So let's see what Paul has to say Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to, be to thank God for you, brothers and sisters. And rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance faith and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. On the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed, this includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and that by His power He may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul writes this. This is the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians. He writes this letter. And he starts, first of all, with a very typical greeting for the day. Uh, Paul, he introduces him who is writing this letter, so it's not Paul on his own, but it's Paul. He's there with Silas and Timothy, his two friends. He's writing to the church and he gives them some kind of generic reading. A grace and peace to you. Uh, this is a fairly typical beginning to a letter. Remember, we're reading a letter here. This isn't a doctrinal treatise. It's not a systematic theology textbook. This is a letter. This is a letter from people to other people. And these are people who knew each other. They were familiar with one another. Uh, and so Paul is writing a personal letter to them. So he, he uh, did, did, does a very typical sort of greeting. The only thing missing from this, day, from this uh, greeting that we would like to have is the date. It's always uh, interesting that they never dated the letters. They didn't have a calendar quite like ours, so it was a little more difficult. But, uh, but here it is. Uh, here it is. The, the, who is writing the letter and who it's going to? He describes the church as being in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These people in Thessalonica were not casual uh, followers of Jesus, but he talks about them being in God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. This implies a a deep and personal relationship that they had with God and Jesus. And Paul gives these friends a typical blessing, grace, and peace. We might take this for granted, but it's a... Wonderful words of blessing, grace, and peace to you. These things are things that he's asking that you experience in your life. That you would be doing well if you know grace and peace in your life. Then Paul goes on and he gives thanks for the church at Thessalonica. And this is quite typical of Paul to do as well. When he, after he gives the greetings, he moves on and he gives some words of thanksgiving for the church. For the people he's writing to, he identifies some things that he sees uh, that they're doing well. And this is how he usually starts off this letter. But look at what he does. He doesn't just say, I give thanks for you. But he's very specific in his thankfulness. It indicates, it shows to them that he knows them. He knows them very well. He knows what's going on in their lives. He knows what kind of people they are. And so he's very specific in his thankfulness. He's invested in this group of people. And so he he says there's three things. He gives them three things. Three qualities of the people that he sees there at Thessalonica. The people that he knows. Three things that he is thankful for. The first is their faith. He mentions this in verse 3 and 4 that their faith is growing more and more. Growth is a good thing. We uh, we usually think of that of uh, something uh, growing. That's a good thing. When we look outside these days, we see spring coming. We see the plants growing, and we say that's a good thing. If you see some plants in your garden and they're still all kind of brown and withered, and uh, nothing, no signs of growth, no signs of green on them, uh, it's usually a bad sign. So he's, so growth is a good thing. We want our 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 graves to be growing. You know, for for the marks we're getting, the results we're getting at school to be growing. We want our bank accounts to be growing. Who likes to watch our our bank accounts going, uh, our bank balance going in this direction? It always makes us a little uncomfortable. We like it to, to be going in the other direction. We like it to be growing. We want our children to be growing, even though it's irritating for our children sometimes when someone who they haven't seen for a while says, "Oh, look how much you've grown." I know my kids sometimes their response to that would be like not in their mind, and they would tell us later their response would be like, of course it is, of course I've grown, that's what I do. I'm a kid, I grow. Um, so, but but we want our kids to to grow. Some cultures of the world, and I lived in one of them for uh, uh, for a number of years in Zambia. Um, they 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 liked growth as well. Um, some of them was. Uh, one of them uh, one of the ways they like to see you grow is when your weight was growing and that was always a difficult one for us western ears to hear when they would greet you when someone would, a friend would greet you when they hadn't seen you for a while they would say wow you're looking so fat <laughs> and of course to them that was a compliment it means you're healthy you're, you're relatively wealthy because you're eating well, so this is a good thing. But to our Western ears, even after so many years there and hearing this, I was like, boy, I just can't get used to that one. That was hard to hear. But, so we want to be growing. And Paul commends them for their faith is growing. This is a good thing. Where does our faith come from, and how does it grow? In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul answers that question for us. He says, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the Word of Christ. So faith comes from that message, from us hearing that message from the Word of Christ. So as we look at Jesus and as we learn about Him, as we read about Him in our Bibles, our faith should be growing. That's what uh, we should see. We are no different than the church in Thessalonica. Paul, I'm sure, would want us here to be people whose faith is growing day by day. And we grow by hearing the Word. And so a quick spiritual checkup can be, is my faith growing? Am I hearing the Word? Am I allowing the message of the Scriptures of Jesus to come into my life to change me and transform me? That's a good question to ask. The next thing he, says, he commends them for is their love is also growing. So this must have been a very exciting community, a very interesting community, a dynamic community that would have been really uh, quite, uh, quite good to be a part of. To, they, because he says their, their faith is growing. Their love is growing. We might long for that kind of life. You know, we can dream for the kind of church there where we are growing in our faith. And he says the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. This would be a good kind of church to, to be a part of. And we can uh, sometimes we imagine the New Testament church is this perfect kind of community, a perfect kind of Christian community where everybody's love is growing and everybody's faith is growing. We're all together and things are going really well. Spoiler alert here, all is not perfect in the church at Thessalonica. We'll see, not this week, but we'll see as we look through this book, Paul calls out some of the people there in that church. And he says, you're busybodies. Stop gossiping. Get back to work. He says, some of you are sitting around and eating other people's food. You're waiting and you've given up working because you're waiting for... Uh, Jesus to come again. So you don't think there's any point in working. He says get back to work. So all is not all that to say, and we'll look at that in the weeks ahead, but all that to say, things are not perfect in the church at Thessalonica, but there are some good things that are going on there. Paul commends them for their faith and for their love. We don't really know what that love looked like for the church at Thessalonica. There's no indication in this passage exactly how they were showing their love, that we can say, well, that's how we should show our love because that's what they were doing. Um, I suspect that it's not much different than how we show love today. You can think of the five love languages, quality time, gifts, touch, words of affirmation, acts of service. Yes, the five love languages. Those are ways we show love to one another. Those are ways we receive love. And if you think about it, What is Paul doing in this passage as he writes this? What's he doing? He's giving words of encouragement. Words of affirmation. Right? He's saying, look at the things I see in you. I'm thankful to God for your faith and for your love. Aren't those words of affirmation? The very love languages? So, here's one that Paul is giving us an example of as he's talking about the love and commending them for the love that they have, He's also showing His way of showing love to them. Is He's giving them words of affirmation. You're doing well. Keep it up. Keep that faith growing. Keep that love for one another growing. And He says, it's not just a few of you, but every one of you. He says the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. This is a community-wide kind of uh, movement that's happening. Loving one another. And then the third thing he says is their perseverance. In verse 4, he commends them for their perseverance in the faith uh, that they have in the persecutions and trials that they're facing. We don't know exactly what kind of persecutions and trials they were facing. Certainly, we get from the book of Acts, it seems that the Jews in the community were maybe causing them some problems. Uh, At this point in the life of the church, the Romans weren't really, uh, there wasn't any real heavy persecution going. That came a bit later in the life of the church. But you can well imagine after the Jews chased Paul and Silas and Timothy out from the city, those who remained uh, in the city uh, were, uh, may have been harshly treated. They probably weren't warmly welcomed. So they were facing some persecutions and trials. We don't really know what they were, but they were facing something that was going on. And we can't really relate to that. Somehow we, you know, we might feel at times that maybe we're a little bit marginalized as followers of Jesus in the world today. We might feel like we're a little bit on the outside of the mainstream of society, but I I wouldn't say we really would feel particularly persecuted or uh, going through particular trials. And maybe that's something that we have in our lives today to give thanks for. But certainly the church at Thessalonica was facing these things because Paul mentions it. So this is all, uh, the first thing Paul has to say It's just how much he's thankful to the church for them. Then he goes down a little side road from verses 5-10 to and he talks about what happens in terms of judgment. Now Paul here is trying to address uh, that question. He's he's taking that idea of persecutions and trials and then he, he goes and he says, okay, well what about that? Because there's some questions about that. Why are we facing these sorts of things? Why do the evildoers seem to be prospering, seem to be doing well. Why is no one coming to our defense? This is an an age-old question and he knows uh, what they're feeling. And what everybody feels when there's persecution, when they're being persecuted, uh, the, the, the question on their lips is where is the justice in this situation? We might feel that sometimes. We might feel that hard done by perhaps in a... Uh, in our workplace or at school, and we say, "Where's the justice in this?" And we wonder. Paul gives them a little answer, and basically he says the the answer is that the the answer that Paul gives is the answer that's always there. God will take care of it eventually. He will He will bring justice. It might not be in our time frame. It might not be in the way that we want to see it happen. But He will bring justice, and you will find relief. But we have that same cry today. It might not be for us, but we look at the world around us and we're very much aware of all that's going on around us in the world. The media and uh, all of the access to information that we have makes us very much aware. And we might sit at the, uh, and look at what's happening in the world and say, where is the justice? Where is the justice for the First Nations people of Canada? I was thinking about this. And thinking about events recently in the world, more recently in the world. And you know, I'm sure you're aware of what's happened in Syria recently, just earlier this month, where the regime in, in power there seems to have used some chemical weapons and used them indiscriminately on, the, on on their own people. And you cry out, where is justice here? When you see women and children affected by these Uh, innocent innocent civilians affected by these weapons and you you look at these images and you hear about them and you read about them and you say, where is the justice? Then for me, you know, you see the response. On the 7th of April, 59 cruise missiles were launched and destroyed a number of uh, the Syrian Air Force bases and uh, uh, I'm sure many people died in that as well. And you say, okay, that's a military response to a military action. But where's the justice? That doesn't that doesn't satisfy us. You, you, you don't have a sense of, I I don't. Let's not say you. I don't know how you feel. Let me just say how I feel. I don't feel a sense of justice there. To say, someone did this, so we did this in retaliation. Somehow that doesn't feel like justice to me. And so you're left with the question, where is justice? This is not a new question. This is a question thousands of years old. And if you uh, scour your Bibles, you'll find this is addressed in a number of different places. But the one, just to mention here briefly, uh, is in the book of Habakkuk. And uh, the prophet Habakkuk cries out to God in Habakkuk 1, verses 2-3. to He says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but You do not listen? Or cry out to You, violence, but You do not save? Why do You make me look at injustice? Why do You tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Habakkuk had the same question. Where is the justice in this situation? God answers him. Uh, and part of it is in chapter 2, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 16. He says, You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around you, and disgrace will cover your glory. He's saying here that God will come and he will make this right. God is saying, I will come and I will make this right. And Habakkuk ends this, uh, at the end of this, um, of this book, he ends it beautifully and he says uh, this is his response back to God. After God reminds him that God is in control of these things, God is looking after them. And he says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. He accepts that God's justice is going to happen. He doesn't know the time. He doesn't know how, but he accepts that. And no matter what's happening, he can praise God. And so it seems that Paul is, is, uh, is saying something similar to the church at Thessalonica. So he gives them just this word of encouragement about justice. And then the last thing he does is in verse 11 and 12, Paul returns to addressing the the church at Thessalonica in particular and he reassures them of of his prayers for them. Paul prays for the church and he prays some, uh, some wonderful blessings on the church that he wants to see happen in the church there. He prays that they would live like children of God, that they would be called to be children of God. And to be living like that, to properly represent the values that the Father has. To be doing the things that the Father has asked them to do. That's what it means to be a child of God. Paul also prays that they would fulfill their desire for goodness. That they had this heart that was seeking out to be good. And Paul says, Paul says I'm going to pray for you along those lines. He prays that the purpose of their deeds would be fulfilled. They're doing good deeds. They want this to accomplish something. They're doing good in their community and to others around them and they have a purpose for it. And Paul prays for them to have this purpose that it would be fulfilled. And that in all of that, that Jesus is glorified in them. So we come to this passage. We come to this book of 2 Thessalonians. And it's a beautiful passage sort of heartfelt passage of uh, us dropping into a conversation. uh, Dropping in and and reading a letter that wasn't meant for us, but was meant for a church uh, a couple thousand years ago. And it's just remarkable for us to drop in and to hear that. But what does it have to do with us today? Let me suggest that we can do the same things to people around us that Paul was doing to the church in Thessalonica here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says simply, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so we can look at Paul as an example of what we should do. We don't have a church in Thessalonica, but we have have ourselves here. So what can we do? What can we do? What did Paul do? Paul was thankful for the church. He told them that He was thankful for them. And He told them exactly why He was thankful. And then Paul prayed for them. Can we follow Paul's example? Can we be thankful for the church that God has put us in and put in our lives? Can we pray? Can we pray not for the church of Thessalonica, but for each other here? That that these things would be fulfilled in us as well. This is not a complicated thing to do here. But maybe it's a difficult one. And so maybe the, the the challenge here is to look at this and say, can we do those same two things that Paul is doing? Take time to simply say, I'm thankful for you. To say to someone directly and clearly that I'm thankful for you. That's what Paul did. You see, that was that word of encouragement. He says, I'm thankful for your faith is growing, your love is growing, and you are uh, persevering in your faith. Take a minute. Think of someone who you appreciate. And think of how you can um, say, thank- say that you're thankful for them. We don't often do this in church, but if God's speaking to you, take out your phone. Send them a text message right now. and Say, you know... I'm just thinking about you. I really appreciate the way you show care for me. I appreciate the love you've shown to my family. I appreciate something about you. Take a little card. Take one of the sermon uh, note pages in front of you and just think of someone. Write it down. And then after service, just go up and give it to them. and Say, here, I was thinking about you in the service. I want to encourage you. I want to bless you. Because imagine how when the Apostle Paul, when they read this in the church, when they read this letter in the church, imagine how they feel when the Apostle Paul himself is saying, I appreciate you. I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for your faith. I'm thankful for your love. I'm thankful for your perseverance. Imagine how encouraging that is to people. And I think we can be that kind of encouragement to each other to take up that challenge to just write a note. It's great that we think about it and that we feel it in our hearts, but imagine how encouraging it can be when we start to share those things. When we can be a community that shares that. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe if you really want to stretch yourself, you can be an encouragement to someone who maybe you don't talk to very often, but you appreciate something about them. Make a note. Take time to do that. So think about it, but then write it out. And you know, to be honest, this is something that's hard for me to do. This is something I don't naturally do. Uh, some people do this, it just sort of bubbles up out of them and it's just part of who they are. Some of us have to work a lot harder at this. I'm aware of my own weakness in the, this, this department and I try and do better um, than I do. The first part actually is, is easier. It's easy to think of how uh, ways you're thankful for other people in your lives. It's, The second part is a little bit harder to do. To actually go and tell them. But that's the part that has real value. And So think about it. Think about it today. Maybe even right now, as I said. uh, Do that. But sometime this week, that's a challenge. Tell someone that you're thankful for them. And then pray for them. And tell them that you're praying. So it wasn't just that Paul prayed for them, the church at Thessalonica, But He wrote and told them, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying for you in these, again, specific areas. Can we do that? Can we pray for people? When someone comes up and tells you something, you pray for them. When someone comes up and tells you about something that they're facing, maybe at work or in their families, with their health, can you just pray for them? Why not just pray for them right then and there? One of my former pastors, uh, uh, he told me to do that as I, just as I was beginning in ministry. He said, you know, when people come and ask you, well, can, will you pray for me about this? He said, just pray for them right, right then and there. And he said, he said for him, otherwise he gets loaded down with all this communication. He, for, he says he'll pray for them and then he forgets and then he feels guilty and all that sort of thing. He says, someone comes and says, you know, my... My sister, she's really sick. Can you pray for her? He says, sure, let's pray right now. And then he knows he's done it. He's prayed for them. And we can do that too. We can just say, sure, I'll pray for you. Prayer is not just for something that the pastors or the deacons do. It's not that some people in church have a special prayer channel to God and their prayers will reach it Uh, reach God in a particular way and maybe more quickly and more effectively. We can all pray. Each of us uh, can pray. And each of us will be heard by God. we can do that to encourage one another. Speaking about prayer, Chuck Swindoll says, don't underestimate two minutes with God in prayer. Don't underestimate two minutes with God in prayer. If that's all you've got, two minutes, you pray. And then, as I say, the important, one of the really helpful things is when you tell people you're praying for them. So if you know of a need in the church and your friends here at church or in, the, in your workplace, and you say, tell them, I'm praying for you about that. It's a great encouragement. Remember John Piper said there are no meaningless moments in Christian community. Let's take the moments that we have and use them well. Use them deliberately and intentionally. Let's work together to develop that kind of community where we can easily uh, be encouraging, giving those words of encouragement to each other, telling people that we're praying for one another. That would be a wonderful kind of community that we can develop. And we can start by simply thanking God for each other and praying for each other. It's something we can do. It's something we can do right here today. Follow Paul's example. Give that word of encouragement, that word of thankfulness, and that word of prayer for others. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for all You've given to us. We thank You for a community that You have made us part of here. And Lord, help us to be the kind of community that is thankful for one another, encouraging to one another, praying for one another. Lord, these are things that Paul saw in the church of Thessalonica and Lord, that we would love to see among ourselves here. And we know that You would love to see it in us as well. Help us to be more and more that kind of community that encourages, that is thankful, and that prays. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.